but we were at a family barbecue. And late in the afternoon, the house was raided by the LAPD and the uh, Monterey Park Police Department, you know, with M16s, dogs, you know, bullets. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, it was a shock. You know, it was a shock. Welcome to Fight Back Radio, production of FightBackNews.org, taking you to the heart of the people's struggle. I'm your host, Richard Berg, and today I have a guest host with me, Angel Narano, um, who's going to help uh, with uh, the introduction. Uh, we're, we have a very special guest today, uh, um, Carlos Montes, and you may remember, Carlos is our, our first uh, repeat guest, um, and for good reason, because he's one of the, the giants of our movement. And uh, the first time we had him on, about halfway through the interview, I said, look, we got to call this guy back because it's too much for you know, his life um, with the Chicano liberation movement was far more than we had time to put into one interview. So, uh, you know, so we invited him back. He gave us some updates on uh, the struggles that they were involved in in Los Angeles in the central CSO, as well as um, some of the things uh um, that, you know, from his life and from the Chicano Liberation Movement. So Angel's going to uh, help me introduce Carlos. But uh, before we get into that, I wanted to say, uh, you know, it's Black History Month, and uh, hopefully everybody out there is doing something to celebrate. Uh, I encourage you to, uh, you know, read a book about black history. And, and actually, I got one I'm going to recommend to you. Um, uh, Frank Chapman's book, which who's been a guest on this show, who you you, you know, uh, and I, I've plugged this book before, but it's a uh, um, you know uh, uh, Marxist-Leninist perspectives on Black liberation and socialism. If you go to fightbacknews.org, uh, you can find a, a link to uh, to buy the book, and it's uh, it's not too expensive, but it's one I recommend and a way for you to celebrate uh, Black History Month. Uh, also coming up uh, as we go from February into March, uh, March eighth is uh, International Women's Day. And all over the United States, all over the world, people celebrate International Women's Day. And it's a, a, a struggle that was started out to commemorate uh, textile worker women uh, in the United States. Uh, Clara Zetkin, the German uh, socialist communist, uh, uh, called for this uh, day, and, and it, it, it continues to exist until this day. So it's important that we celebrate um, all the struggles of women, especially in this year when the Supreme Court is trying to take away so many rights from women. Um, and so look, look for your, in your city, uh, you know, look at, uh, you know, Fight Back News or Freedom Road or somewhere, find a, a program or a march or a picket line or something to celebrate women in early March and be there. And uh, we'll, uh, um, in our next uh, show, we'll put some of that into the show notes to, to help you find that. Um, but uh, I want to thank uh, Angel for agreeing to to help me uh, introduce uh, uh, Carlos. And uh, and last time, the uh, uh, we had Carlos on. Angel, you gave uh, you know reflective notes on it. And uh, Angel's uh, uh, I should introduce you first. Um, is a, a, a senior in high school at the Little Village Lawndale High School. Mm-hmm. As a member of the Fight Back organization, which you were one of the founders of, I, mm-hmm. I understand there. And um, so, uh, uh, you know, before we get into the introduction of Carlos, um, what, what's a Little Village Lawndale Fight Back been, uh, what, what have you guys been doing this year? We've been up to a good amount in 2022 as a whole, like the beginning of the school year. Um, we gathered a lot of students to go over what was going on in the school that they wanted to see change, problems, you know, how to get involved in activism. 
because prior to the school year starting, we would actually like organize multiple walkouts. Um, we joined uh, CHIRAS, the Chicago Public Schools Radical Youth Alliance, when it did a walkout in January to support the CTU and against like the reopening of schools, even though there was deadly um, levels of COVID going on, high rates, especially in Little Village where we had some of the highest rates of COVID. Um, so we organized that. We got a bus for students to go downtown and join that protest. That was oh, amazing. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, and um, we organized to reopen the school bathrooms, which were locked up, and we saw that that was like kind of strategic because it was funneling students they, into, hold, like, go back so they, they locked oh yeah, the yeah. bathrooms in your school so yes. you couldn't use them yes they locked like the entire second floor of bathrooms so all the students will kind of be funneled into the first floor um one of the people actually That's admitted, crazy. yeah they admitted that it was to like control where the students were going you know to like kind of monitor them better it was it was like really weird the language i was being used Talk about school uh, to prison pipeline, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my exactly. lord. Um, and so we were organizing to get those reopened, and we did, but they're still not fully functional. And so it's like you know, you have a school of over twelve hundred students, almost thirteen hundred, and you don't have like functional bathrooms. What do you what do you expect's gonna it's happen? Crazy, you know. And so we held another walkout in June, June second, that school year. That's when I was a junior, and that was amazing. We mobilized over 300 students from all four schools in that building because it's divided that way. And we had um, multiple organizations come out. We had people from the Freedom Road Socialist Organization support. The Chicago Alliance was there. They gave us a banner that we can use. Oh, cool. We had the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, Ovejo, come out. And they really helped with marshalling the event and whatnot. And that created a lot of connections and radicalized a lot of students. And then as the school year came about, um, the 2022 to 2023 school year that we're still in, we gathered those students. We created a banner where we had students from all four schools um, name things. So it's like your, your high school is really four high yeah, schools in one. Four. Yeah. And it came about for people, our, our listeners around the city, around the country for that matter. Uh, this was a, a big struggle where the, you had, they had a, you know people in the community had sit-ins, etc., and uh, um, to try to make sure the school is established. But it's four high schools in mm-hmm. in one building that all focus oh, on yeah. different things. So no. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Thank you for bringing that up. Actually, um, that's really important to note because one of the models we have at the school is that we were born out of the struggle, and the struggle continues. You know, and so we see the youth as like carrying that on, um, specifically because there was a 19-day hunger strike that helped bring a lot of attention to that, um, the need of a new school in the building, in the neighborhood, I'm sorry, a new building in the neighborhood for schools because there was only one school named Farragut where they had like thousands of students packed into this small space, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we needed that. Yes, And people put their bodies on the line. There was this one woman, may she rest in peace, her name was Manolita Garcia. She was one of the older hunger strikers and her granddaughter was the youngest one, like at 16, 17 years old, around my age. Oh my gosh. Um, And yeah, they... We're on a 19-day hunger strike, really inspiring, you know. And so we want to carry that legacy on, that legacy of struggle. And what better way to do that than to organize, you know. So what this year, what have, what have you been doing? Uh, yeah, um, like I said, we held that meeting to um, bring attention to the injustices going on in that school. Specifically, students were concerned with the mistreatment of students on behalf of the stu- of the staff, security guards. We also had we also pointed out that the lunch was not good. It still isn't. 
you know, quality of lunch. This is across the district and, you know, across the country, you know, people don't really have things to eat, you know, especially young students, you know, from black and brown communities, from oppressed national well, we're gonna We're going to hear from Carlos oh, soon, right. but it, actually the walkouts yes. in Los Angeles back in 1969, I think it was, that the Brown Berets and others led, was, that was one mm-hmm. of the issues. It was, uh, you know, Chicano studies and other things, but it was a, a, a low quality of food and a poor diet was part of part of the issues even back then so mm-hmm. yeah and it continues to this day which is like mind-blowing you know it's because crazy. we live in this country that's supposed to be one of the richest in the world but they can't feed the people that live in there so you know that's like like what, what's going on here but yeah that was that's another issue um uniforms because you know the school to prison pipeline we talk about you know students are um forced to wear these uniforms in some of the schools and they get like penalties if they don't detentions that could eventually lead to suspensions and whatnot and it hits women especially because they're they're like bothered for like showing a bit of stomach or revealing some skin you know on behalf of like adults which is just weird and um that's what we were up to there during like the first beginning of the school year but eventually around october we started to show solidarity with other schools across the city specifically jones college prep because there was a student during their halloween costume showcase that dressed up in Nazi uniform and goose-stepped across the stage. Oh, my God. Yeah, and um, that was just mind-blowing, and that was shocking. You know, I say that's a better word. It was shocking because this student was allowed by the principal of this school to continue to act this way, even though he was known to already be overtly racist and anti-Semitic. And the principal himself was covering events, incidents like this for years at the school. You know, and then the Black Student Union at that school, um, in an act of courage, you know, they stood up to what was going on and they organized a sit-in that um, netted over a thousand students at the school. That's you know? wow. wow. And in coordination with the Chicago Teachers Union and having support from schools like Little Village Londo High School, we organized a group of students to come together and to show a picture in solidarity with the Black Student Union. Um, we got the principal kicked out. Yes, you know, yes. This had been a battle years. at Jones yes, for quite yes. a while to get, mm-hmm. get this principle out, and mm-hmm. uh, the fact that you know, but also just you know, showing solidarity from mm-hmm. one high school to another across the city—that's that's that's really something. Yes. Especially, uh, uh, you know, the you know whatever the you know multiracial unity, mm-hmm. multinational mm-hmm. unity, yep. and uh, you know whatever. I mean, it's a it's a credit to your yeah. to the fight back organization. Yeah, it, it was it was really beautiful. They even let us come into their meeting after the the debrief meeting that they had after the sit-in. Oh, they funny. let us join in, which was really awesome. And so one of the students, actually the president of the Black Student Union um, at Jones, ended up joining us when we went to the Freedom Road Socialist Organization People's Thanksgiving. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, wonderful, which yes. which was amazing. He got up. He gave a he gave a speech about what was going on. Um, it was really empowering to the youth and especially the black youth there. And it just go to show like how people can be brought together by a struggle. Yep. You know, and that these are really the new leaders of this generation in order that are gonna carry this on. Um he ended up actually getting one of Frank's books that you mentioned earlier. There you go. He, yeah, he get he got Frank's book on black liberation and socialism. And um after that we started to get involved in around December around the district council elections that are coming this month. You know, so what are you doing? Elections. So we've had some discussion for our Fight Back Radio listeners mm-hmm. about the district council elections that are coming up at the end of this month in Chicago, um, where they're going to have elections for the first time ever of a 
these uh, district council leaders and uh, and have a, you know a, a say in you know uh, establishing a, a, a council that can uh, set a policy to have you know uh, working class leaders in the community mm-hmm. that can speak out about different things that are going on and calling uh, members to get you know calling people from the community together. So this is a uh, uh, you know, democracy that moves us in the direction mm-hmm. of community control of the police—a step in that direction that's important. Um, but uh, so, what 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 are uh, what what is uh, the fight back organization at Little Village uh, mm-hmm. um, Lawndale High School been doing to around the? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been what, what have you been doing to around the elections? Right. So we know, you know, as young people, and especially in Little Village, where we faced a lot of. Um, we call it police occupation, you know, over-policing, under-protection, and honestly, all neighborhoods in the city. But in Little Village, we've seen people like Adam Toledo, the 13-year-old kid that got shot to death by a cop with his hands up, you know? And so we, we were especially yeah. impacted by that. And when we heard about the It was struggle, national news. I mean, it yes, was, it yeah, was it was. national news. It was mm-hmm. uh, something, uh, it, was, it, it made you, it, it tore your heart out, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. He had his hands raised and he was, he was murdered. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I'm sorry. No, oh. no, no. Um, it actually happened by that school that um, I mentioned earlier, Farragut. Mm-hmm. It happened literally right there by that alley. Right by that school. But, yeah, once we heard about the, this, this thing, you know, because we often like, only hear about the problem, the problem, the problem. You know, but once we heard about this solution that was community control of the police and district councils, you know, empowering the communities across the city, you know, to hold the police accountable and to create public safety, you know, we just knew we had to get involved. And so we saw it as like a blockade and a road to like our freedom, our collective freedom. And so we have to face the repression head on. And so we started mobilizing some young people to go out and door knock, you know, canvas to let people know about these upcoming elections, because I feel like there's been a lot of um, intentional obscuring of the issue you know mm-hmm. because of how powerful it is you know especially by the people in power in the in the city um and they rarely ever talk about it when they mention public safety and so we started educating young, young people you know um shout out to my friends alina and chelly who were there canvassing with me today that's why i look a little you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Bro. <laughs> I, I just came back from canvassing you know today we were out there for a few hours um we covered a lot of ground you know we have this list um hundreds of doors and we were like 50 percent done with it you know, just a few of us. So it's been really awesome. It's nice. Yes, and, absolutely. And yeah, it's just, it's great to get involved, um, to unite people across the color line and, you know, really achieve this thing. Because if you look back at the demand of community control of the police, it goes back to the Black Panthers, you know? Yep. And the people who were really involved, you know, old people in their 20s, but especially young people, mm-hmm. you know, they've always been at the forefront of this. And so it's great to like finally... You know, follow through, follow through with that, and like empower the city to this. That's great. Um, well, let me ask you then. So we're gonna hear from uh, Carlos Montes soon. It goes back to the Black Panthers. It also goes back to the Brown Berets and, mm-hmm. and Carlos and some of the things they were doing. Um, the uh, you know you did the uh, the conclusion or response to Carlos's uh, first episode. Do um, you want to say anything more? What 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 are your thoughts on? Uh, 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 Carlos Montes and and what they did back in the day to insp- you know that inspires you today. Mm-hmm. No, it definitely is really inspiring, you know, because I mentioned in that in that um, reflection that I did that I see that history as mine, you know, and I think young people um, across all colors, black, brown, white, whatever, but you know, as a brown person myself, um, as a ch- as a Latino that grew up in the little village community, you know, predominantly Mexican community in Chicago. You know, when I look at that, despite it happening like like across the country, I, st- I still see that as my struggle, and I still see it as like extremely inspiring. You know, because it just shows us like what is possible, 
you know, we're often told as young people that we don't know what we're doing or that you can't change anything, you know, but yet here they were, you know, organizing against the Vietnam War, organizing for better schools, you know, empowering themselves and determining their own destiny. And so that's how I see it. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. So do you want to introduce Carlos? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I can say what he is to me, first of all. To me, Carlos, like I said, is an inspiration, you know, a source of knowledge. He's one of the giants of the Chicano Liberation Movement, and he was one of the original founders of the Brown Berets, you know. And, you know, I think you'll love to hear about him. So here he is. So here's Carlos Montes. Okay, so I'm here with uh, Carlos Montes, uh, who uh, this is a, a part two uh, interview. You may, and I, I really want to encourage our listeners to go back and listen if you haven't already to the the first uh, episode we did with Carlos. Carlos is our our first guest um, that we're inviting back for a part two, and it's it's not surprising because uh, uh, his life uh, in the Chicano Liberation Movement. Um, is extensive, and uh, we wanted to cover uh, as much of it as we could, and we'll, we'll, we may not even get through all of it again this time. But um, before we get into uh, some of that, some of the history of the Chicano Liberation Movement, um, you know, last time we talked to you, Carlos. Well, first, welcome back to Fight Back Radio. It's good to have you back. Thanks for uh, being generous. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad to be back. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And so. Uh, uh, but the last time we had you here, uh, um, you were talking about uh, um, the L.A. Sheriff's Department. And you were telling us uh, some of the issues that you were having with them and the, the challenges that you were having, the struggles were going on. What, could you give us a little bit of update of what's going on there and what, 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 you've, been, uh, what you've been up to since uh, Memorial Day, I think, was the last time we spoke? Was it? Yeah, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department is uh, one of the largest in the nation, has, runs the largest uh, county jail. But uh, the sheriffs have a long history of abusing and killing young blacks and Chicanos, right? And in uh, 2016, uh, Centro CSO, who I organized with, community service organizations, took up the fight. Uh, we had a series of killings that day, that year. That was really bad. Edwin Rodriguez, you know, uh, was a young man that was killed. And we worked with the family, started protesting. And then, of course, we found out that, you know, that the Banditos Deputy Sheriff Gang is active at the East L.A. Station. Uh, then we united with the broader coalition. So that's a gang that Sheriff. actually exists of the, of the Sheriff's Department, right, within the Sheriff's Department. Yes, that's why I say Deputy Sheriff Gang, Banditos. And to get in it, you know, uh, you got to arrest, beat up, break bone, kill, you know. And they literally do kill young men. It's human, major human rights abuse. It's an international scandal. <clears throat> They're under investigation. The station right now by the FBI, by the county, you know, DA. Um, but um, they continue to abuse our folks, right? So we we united with the um, Check the Sheriff Coalition, which included families, Black and Chicano families, included the ACLU, National Lawyers Guild, uh, Dignity Power Now, Centro CSO. And we started advocating to denounce the sheriff. And uh, what also happened, you know, four years ago, a new sheriff was elected by the name of Alex Villanueva. And he said he was going to change things, but as it turned out, he was just lying. You know, he he didn't change anything. He actually uh, cuddled and uh, justified, uh, you know, the abuse and the killings and didn't do anything about the gangs. But, you know, to sum it up, uh, last year, 2022, we did a campaign 
to oust the sheriff to get rid of him. Successfully, he was defeated. Oh, congratulations. Also, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We, and, and the second thing we did, though, with the Check the Sheriff Coalition, which took us about a year or so, is we got a uh, a law, a charter amendment to the county charter. The county has a charter issued by the state. And it, the charter is like the laws, the, you know, the constitution of the county. And we were able to lobby and work with the county board of supervisors uh, for them to uh, put on the ballot a charter amendment that uh, we wanted, you know, obviously wanted community control of the police, wanted to reform the, 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 the system. What we were able to get is a charter amendment to be able to remove a city sheriff for violating the law, which, which you know, which some people might not think it's a lot. That is a humongous uh, a victory step forward. Uh, but we had to put it on the on the ballot. They had to put it on the ballot. The county board of supervisors voted on it, put it on the ballot on the November ballot. So we did a grassroots get out the vote campaign. A vote yes on Measure A for sheriff accountability, and it resonated with the community. Uh, it passed overwhelmingly, close to seventy percent. Uh, the sheriff was ousted. So now we continue 2023, you know, to uh, push for a more uh, change. That's oh, fabulous. I mean, uh, when we met last, you were you, you were introducing those two things. And that's two big victories. And, uh, you know, changing the, the charter or the Constitution uh, uh, is a big deal. And, uh, I mean, it shouldn't be that you, you have to go through all that just to get uh, – uh, law enforcement to abide by the law, but uh, um, but if that's what you got to do, and you did it, so I, my hats off to you. Congratulations to you and all the other sisters and brothers at Central CSO and in the movement who got it done. So yes, congratulations. The, the, I mentioned the, one other one, one sure. other thing. We always sure, advocated. We always advocated for uh, prosecution of the cops, and last year there were several uh, sheriffs uh, that were. Fired or also the district attorney, uh, George Gascon, filed charges for manslaughter, uh, especially in the uh, David Ordaz case. The sheriff uh, was um, charged and arrested. So that's an ongoing. I wanted to mention that, that uh, we continue to push for that. Thank you. No, that's good. It's good work. Thanks for the updates on those things. And it's it's good that... uh... Like I said, it's uh, we need to uphold our victories because uh, they're precious, and so good work. Um, let me let me move to uh, public education. The Central CSO was very involved in that when we spoke last, and uh, um, I know you wanted to talk about a little bit about it here again. So, could you give us an update on what you've been doing with uh, the issues of public education? No, absolutely. During that same campaign. We supported a, uh, a candidate by the name of Dr. Rocio Rivas, a young woman with a, a PhD and uh, who uh, is a parent, has a, has a son in the school district. And she uh, was an advocate for the Democrat right to a public education and to hold charters accountable or to stop the privatization of public education. Centro CSO, we've always fought against privatization, against charter schools. We defeated Kip Promesa a few years ago. We defeated Green Dot. And uh, last year, we took out the fight against Endovera uh, Esperanza High School, that they want to build a high school uh, about two blocks away from uh, our premier public high school, Garfield High School, right? 
So, um, you know, we did a press conference, a rally, stopped the privatization. And uh, Dr. Rocio Rivas ran, you know, uh, for the school board and uh, to unseat, uh, uh, not to unseat, but Monica Garcia, who had always been an advocate of charter schools, had been supported by the California Charter Association. We wanted to get rid of her. She had been in there for almost eight years. She she supported someone else who's pro-charter, and they had a lot of money, millions of dollars. Uh, you know, the, the Charter Association, uh, what's his name, um, Reed from uh, Netflix, and uh, forget the other names of developers, put in millions of dollars supporting the other candidate. I won't mention her name, but she lost. Anyway, what we did uh, combined, when we went door to door, get out the vote, we said vote yes on Measure A on Sheriff Accountability and vote for Dr. Rocio Rivas. And it was a hot, hard fought, but she won. So she's in the school board now. <laughs> so the LAUSD school board, which is one of the, maybe the second largest in the nation, uh, with over 350,000 students, primary Latino and Black, uh, that spreads all over LA County now has a um, majority board that is uh, pro public education. Prior to that, it was a majority uh, pro charter type of board. So anyway, that you know, it's an ongoing struggle. We we fight for public education, the democratic right to a free public education, and currently uh, we're supporting UTLA. They're going to have a big rally on March the fifteenth. They're, they've been in contract negotiations. UTLA is the union that represents uh, yeah. those teachers in L.A., correct? Yeah, I'm sorry, the United Teachers of L.A., right. They're having a, a big rally, and we support fully funded schools, you know, fully staffed schools. We, uh, we, we support competitive salaries for teachers. Our, our teachers right now are, uh, you know, overwhelmed with uh, – you know, crowded classrooms, the COVID uh, pandemic, just getting over that, you know. So, yeah, so public education and holding the sheriffs accountable is our big uh, areas of work currently. No, it's, it sounds great. It sounds great. Let me let me ask you, I moved to, you had a third uh, venue you were doing some work on, uh, um, was uh, uh, immigration and uh, the uh, legalization for all. And I, I know nationally, this has uh, uh, become an issue with uh, you know, the governors in Texas and Florida, you know, busing people north uh, and doing other things. We have that in, our, in Chicago where I live, uh, uh, some of the um, busing people from Florida to uh, Chicago and just, you know, letting them off. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's horrible what's going on. But I was wondering, uh, how, your efforts in Los Angeles and uh, how, how they looked. Yeah, well, we denounced, you know, uh, the governors and Republican states, especially Abbott in Texas, who really is uh, whipping up hysteria, you know, continues to say that there's an invasion, you know. And I'll point out that this type of uh, racist rhetoric has promoted uh, mass killings uh, of, of Latinos and blacks. And, and, you know, it happened in El Paso, Texas a couple of years ago, where 20 people were killed by the young man who came who drove saying there was an invasion of his, he used the word Hispanic, but he was referring to Mexicans, right? So we denounced that and we're, uh, Centro CISO is part of a national network called Legalization for All. You can look for us on Instagram. And we've advocated to defend and promote DACA, 
but our main pillars are legalization for all and no deportation. And of course, you know, we, we denounced uh, Governor Abbott and the Republicans for, uh, um, you know, um, ripping up this mass racist hysteria. No, it's uh, it's it's good. It's good. We need to to stand together across the country, uh, uh, across the world, for that matter, and uh, and denounce those kinds of things. Um, let me. Uh, uh, I want to pivot back a little bit, uh, um, you know, to your your uh, origin story. And uh, I know we uh, in our first uh, episode uh, with you, we uh, uh, we talked a lot about your youth and uh, the walkouts, uh, the founding of the Brown Berets. Uh, you were the minister of information for the Brown Berets. Um, and a lot of uh, uh, you know the uh, the walkouts you know led to a conspiracy trial. We talked a little bit about uh, um, you know some of the repression that happened. The, the Las Traces, I think they called them, the uh, East LA Thirteen, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and at a certain point, uh, um, uh, you know there was a, an incident uh, uh, at Biltmore um, where you guys had a protest, and I think uh, that that led to a. A Biltmore Six, and it led you to actually going underground. Uh, um, I maybe have some of that a little bit wrong, but maybe if you could just uh, tell us a little bit about that and about what led uh, for you to actually, uh, you know, this is I think 1969 or 1970, um, you know, going underground and how how that happened. And it's something that I think our young people, you know, it's like wow, he had to, you know, actually go underground. You know, that that's uh, something that was, you know. It would surprise people, I think, uh, and uh, it's an important part of uh, uh, the history of you know somebody who was uh, you know you were very visible, but uh, 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 and as a militant, uh, you know, revolutionary calling for self determination of Chicanos, but uh, uh, but there was repression that came with it as well. So as can yeah, you speak uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? Uh, that whole uh, episode, that whole era. You know, it could take hours, but I will first of all announce that I do have a website, carlosmonte.org, where there's several uh, interviews that go for an hour to two hours, you know, that have been conducted by um, by different sources. I think the uh, U.S. Library of Congress did one, Amy Goodman did one, and uh, other folks. But I will give you the synopsis here that in the late 60s, we faced uh, repression by counterintelligence program, the FBI working with the local police. The local police sent in undercover cops, agent provocateurs, to try to disrupt and destroy the Brown Berets, right? Fernando Sumaya, LEPD uh, officer, infiltrated the Brown Berets and started advocating uh, more violent action. And we thought he was just a you know, young, crazy guy. We said, no, we protest, we organize, right? And at the Billmore Hotel, 1969, when Governor Reagan was supposed to speak, it was, it was called the Nuevas Vistas Conference on Education, which to us was an insult because Governor Reagan was, uh, was um, against bilingual education, against uh, uh, welfare programs, uh, social programs. So it was kind of a contradiction, you know, to have these two Republicans, uh, Max Rafferty, the Secretary of Education, to speak, right? So we organized a protest. We had a picket line outside. We went inside the dinner uh, or the lunch and started protesting, hand clapping, walking out. But during the Fernando Sumaya, though, during the, um, the, 
the protest started a fire inside the the hotel. And actually, there was a series of several fires set, right? And I will point out that the uh, hotel was surrounded already by police as well as state security, because you had this, the governor, the state officials there, right? So the only people that had access to the upper floors and the elevators were the were the uh, state police, the authorities, right? Anyway, uh, uh, Fernando Sumaya started a fire, and nobody was arrested that day, other than the protest at the in the during the luncheon, right? So a month later, uh, you know, we get indicted. Uh, six of us get indicted for conspiracy to commit arson. And Fernando Sumaya accused us of conspiring to commit arson, where in fact he did the fire and under the you know direction of trying to discredit and destroy the movement and the Brown Berets. But I will also point out that uh, not only was I indicted for the East LA walkouts, but for the Biltmore case, and I was arrested several times and assaulted in the county jail by the sheriffs and threatened with uh, being killed or spending the rest of my life in jail by Sergeant Lee Celayos of the LAPD, right? And, uh, you know, and uh, so all I was doing was, you know, going to court, going to jail, getting bailed out. And uh, I fear for my life, you know, with those threats. So I decided that I needed to, uh, to, to go underground. And in December of, uh, Excuse me, January 1970, I left California and went to Mexico. Okay, um, so yeah, uh, I mean, survived. yeah, I mean that that's surprising. <laughs> that's, that's a, a lot. That's, that's a lot. No, it it is, and it's uh, um, it's it, you know it, it's shocking, um, but it's uh, um, you know if you stand up to power like you did, um, and uh, successfully, and actually you know, inspired. And you continue to inspire people across uh, the, the country uh, to fight for liberation. There's, there's you know, the, the the people that have the power don't like that, and they push back. Um, let me just say we're going to put uh, carlosmmontes.org in our show notes, and I want to encourage people to go to that website and uh, and look at uh, uh, um, some of the interviews that have been done with you to learn about what actually happened. Um, but I, I do want to dig into it a little bit here. Um, uh, so you, you went to Mexico. Um, what, what, what is, you know, you were, uh, you were, I think underground for seven years. Am I right? And, uh, you know, what, what was that like? What, what, what did you do for those seven years? Yeah, good question. It's carlosmontes.org uh, and my website, I don't have the middle initial. But, oh, okay. Uh, sorry. Just carlosmontes.org. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, I mean, the first year, you know, uh, we were very paranoid and uh, we lived in Yucatan, you know, uh, Merida, Yucatan. I worked and, uh, you know, we uh, we just kind of regrouped. But eventually uh, we came back to the border town of Juarez, Ciudad Juarez across from El Paso. And uh, where my son was born there in Juarez and I got a job, you know, working uh, in the El Paso area, and I started getting involved in the union activities, believe it or not. I was a, a, a apprentice carpenter. I became a journeyman carpenter. I got involved in the carpenter's union, became a trustee, and then we got involved in the big uh, FADA strike for union recognition in 1972, 
It was a two-year strike for union recognition mm -hmm. of over 5,000 Chicana garment workers. And um, what happened then, there was a series of other strikes in El Paso, border steel. You know, it created a, a movement for unions because, you know, Texas is uh, basically anti-union. And um, a lot of the uh, uh, unions and also left groups of the time uh, uh, organized uh, a boycott Fada Pants national mm -hmm. campaign from uh, from uh, LA to San Francisco to New York. So it was successful. It forced Fada to sit down and negotiate a contract. And we were part of that. We had a worker center, Centro Obrero. And, um, you know, we helped organize uh, speaking tours. And so we were still active. Me and my, uh, my wife at that time, Olivia, were very active in the community. We also in the uh, El Paso, you have El Segundo Barrio, the, the, the famous neighborhood uh, where we fought to establish a clinic, a free clinic, like the Fe, La Clinica La Fe. You know, we fought against gentrification. Uh, we did border solidarity. Uh, we had protests on the border supporting the struggle in Mexico and against immigration. Uh, let's see what are the oh yeah the other big thing is that during that time there was a big campaign uh, of the um, the uh, Chicano uh, party to run we ran uh, Ramsey Nunez for governor El Partido de la Raza Unida Raza Unida party and you know he had you know it was a really uh, grassroots campaign and he got a lot of votes. So we were, we were active, you know, when people say, oh, you were underground, what were you doing? You know, well, I was working. We had a, my daughter was born at Paso, Felicia Fe, and um, we worked. And, um, you know, we continue to, to try to organize unions, you know. Yeah, it Back sounds like you're you. very active, you know, a union, you know, whatever, trustee, et cetera. Um, and then you went back and forth, it sounds like, between El Paso and, and Juarez or... Well, yeah, yeah, I, and then actually the first couple of years, but then eventually we moved to El Paso and and stayed there permanently because when you live in Juarez and you work in El Paso, you got to cross the border every day, you know, and that's a long line. It's even worse today, but but, but um, so we eventually just moved to El We were kind of uh, paranoid, you know, what if I get arrested, you know, because when you're on the ground, what you got to do is that <clears throat> you got to get a... Um, uh, you know, an ID, uh, driver's license, you know, you got to get the whole thing. It was a lot easier back then, you know. <clears throat> so you have to make up a life of, you know, you can't, I couldn't use my real name, obviously, you know. So what what led you to, to come out from underground? How did that happen? Well, uh, like I was saying earlier, after seven years, we thought it may be safe to come to L.A., and my wife was born and raised in Boyle Heights, and I wanted to see her mother, her sisters. So we decided to come back uh, in May of um, 1977. I forget what weekend that was. But, uh, you know, we visited uh, my family. One day they went to visit her family. But we don't know what happened, but we were at a family barbecue. And late in the afternoon, the house was raided by the LAPD and the uh, Monterey Park Police Department, you know, with M16s, dogs, you know, bullets. Oh, my God. Vest. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It was a shock, you know, it was a shock, you know, and, uh, uh, and I was arrested, you know, and, um, somehow they found out, you know, we don't know how they found out that I was in LA, you know, but we found out that they had continued to, to renew this arrest warrant on me that Sergeant Lisa Vallos continued to ask the DA to keep that uh, arrest warrant active. So, you know, I was in jail for ooh, about maybe a month, month and a half, but my family and community rallied, united. They organized a Free Carlos Montes campaign and I was bailed out and I started to go to court. And uh, after two years of going to court, uh, I had six felony charges against me, right? Most of them were conspiracy to commit arson, conspiracy to disrupt the peace. Since I was the last one, everyone else who had been arrested in 1969 had gone to trial and were found not guilty. Okay. So I was the last one. So the conspiracy charges were dropped because how can I conspire by myself, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah. So eventually just, just left the, uh, I think, the arson charge. So we went to trial. I remember in 1979, November and December, we went to our jury trial. We put on the good defense, you know, and yep. the police got up there and said, I did it. And I said, no, you did it, you know. And <laughs> we are, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, the the, uh, the the cop uh, Fernando Samaya was uh, was back. He was the, the guy that testified against you again, or yes, yes. I, he was still in the police force. Um, I forget what department he was in, but uh, he testified against me. And you know, I testified at how the police had a history of uh, arresting us, harassing us, beating us up. You know, and uh, that this was just another example of uh, police state repression against the Chicano movement, against the Brown Berets. Because the Brown Berets were young, angry men and women who wanted to fight for self-determination. And we denounced police abuse. We denounced racism. We denounced the war in Vietnam, you know. Mm -hmm. And we helped organize the walkout, Esteli walkouts in March of 68. We organized the first Chicano moratorium against the war. In December 20, 1969, which led to bigger marches. So the jury found me totally not guilty. What a victory. Was, yeah. What yeah. A victory. Yeah. It was, it was very stressful, very hard, but we had good lawyers. I had uh, uh, Steve Sonora, Sam Paz, and Miguel Garcia. No, that's fabulous. I mean, it's a, you need it all. You need the good legal team. You need the movement too, you know, to stand behind you. And it sounds like they did here. And it was a, a, a victory to, to have you uh, be, uh, you know, be acquitted of all your charges. So then uh, let me, let me just, you know, keep pushing forward here. So I, I don't want, you know, I want to maybe do the eighties quickly, but uh, I know uh, you were very involved in, uh, there was a you know a black electoral upsurge. Uh, Jesse Jackson for president. Uh, you know he ran twice. I think uh, you were involved in that. How how do you look back at that? I mean the this uh, this time period when uh, um, I think black people especially, but all oppressed nationality peoples uh, started to use electoral politics and exercise power. You know, I, I, like I said, I know you were you were I think you were a delegate to one of the conventions or something. But uh, uh, how would you sum up the the, the that whole Jesse Jackson rainbow movement of the 1980s. No, it, it was an awesome movement. The struggle for the democratic right to elect uh, black and Chicano representatives, but also the right to vote. 
as you know, the history of the U.S. has a, a impact <clears throat> on our vote, our voting rights, right, to be able to register to vote and vote. And uh, the 84, uh, we organized Latinos for Jackson, so brought out more voters. Uh, I ran as a delegate uh, for Jackson, and I attended the 84 Democratic Convention in San Francisco, where we, uh, you know, almost got him nominated. I think we nominated Walter Monday. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so the way I see it, it, it was a struggle for the Democratic right to vote for one thing, for Black people to vote, Latino vote, because we had a low voting turnout, and and then also to be able to run candidates. So we started uh, seeing a lot of Chicanos and Blacks running for local office as well as for Congress, you know. So that led to an upsurge in, in having the uh, uh, Blacks and and uh, Chicanos elected to Congress. And they formed the Black Caucus, the Latino Caucus, the Progressive Caucus, which eventually led to progressive reforms. And I think also with Jesse Jackson, you know, it showed that a, a Black person can run for national office and win, you know. I think it opened up the door for the future where Obama won, you know. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, just, you know, going forward, uh, I'm like I said, I'm, I want to cover a lot of history in a short time here. So, I, um, But it's, uh, you know, you were very active during all of these times. And so getting your perspective, I think, is, uh, uh, is different than what we read, uh, you know, sometimes or we're told in the history books. But... Uh, you know, I'm I'm looking. You know, as uh, you know, the '90s I'm looking at was a, a period with you know with the Clintons and or, you know Bill Clinton especially and uh, NAFTA getting passed and neoliberalism, and uh, um, I think you were involved somewhat in the the Zapatistas. Uh, you know, is it, when NAFTA was signed, they 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 kind of launched um, uh, the next day uh, uh, an attack in uh, Chiapas, Mexico. Um, could you talk a little bit about uh? You know who were the Zapatistas and and uh, are are the Zapatistas and uh, what what you know how how that affected us and how that tied uh, you know what was going on in the United States to what was going on in Mexico. Yeah, I, I can just give you a general overview that you know NAFTA uh, uh, created uh, the conditions for privatization of uh, public services in Mexico, created poverty, a mass migration. Uh, to the United States, and that 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 uh, strengthened the Chicano movement, the Chicano nation, right? And um, the Zapatistas, though, you know, they rebelled. They said uh, no to NAFTA, no to privatization, and also uh, demanded uh, rights for indigenous people, to for land and for autonomy, right? And that inspired a lot of young Chicanos in the United States to take up the struggle in solidarity with the Zapatistas, but also with the struggle for democracy in Mexico. Salinas de Gotari was it, that opened up the doors, you know, to privatization. And then, mm -hmm. then he, after the election, he ended up moving to Ireland. <laughs> and his brother and his brother and his brother was arrested for some other crimes. Right. But the 90s, you know, uh, you know, and see, here in Heights, you know, I remember in the, in the early 90s, there was a couple of controversial killings, Arturo Jimenez, a young man killed by the sheriff in the Ramona Gardens pub, Friday, Eula Love, a young uh, black woman killed by LAPD, 
And we united the Black Latino community in fighting those two cases that David Angel Ortiz, a young teenager shot by the sheriff. Yeah, so those are also cases in, in the 90, 93, 94 area. I think Rodney King was the 90s too, I think, right? 92, yeah. though, the 92 Rebellion. Yeah, you're right. We were so, out there in the 92 Rebellion, you know, protesting, rebelling, you know, spontaneous anger. So that was Carlos Montes, uh, and, and a good interview, I would say. You know, it's uh, there's so much there, you know, and, and it's so much about... Uh, the Chicano Liberation Movement and his life that people don't know. And so I encourage people to, to continue to check that out. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, as we said, his website, uh, it's carlosmontes.org, uh, and I encourage everybody to, to check that out, which has even more information. At the top of the show, I mentioned uh, Black History Month. Do something for Black History Month. International Women's Day is next month. You want to do that as well. Um, I want to thank Angel for thank helping you, me out thank with you. Uh, the introduction of Carlos and being a, a part of this uh, this program, this episode. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having um, me. And, and telling us all the, the great things that are happening at Little Village High School uh, Fight Back in uh, Lawndale. Um, and so uh, uh, just also finally, uh, if you want to reach us, we're at Fightback Radio, or Richard dot Fightback Radio at Gmail dot com, and uh, I want to thank also uh, our production team who uh, puts this all together and makes it look good. Um, Shane Tremley, uh, Vince Olson, Dodd McColgan, and for our entire Fightback Radio team, including Angel. Uh, this is Richard Berg saying, until next time, all power to the people. All power to the people.